Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gumps. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about building a wholesale business. We're chatting with Amira Rasul, founder and CEO of The Folklore Group, a platform that helps diverse brands connect with retailers so that global customers can discover and shop Black-owned fashion, accessories, beauty, home, and lifestyle products. Welcome to Sisters Inc., Amira, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'd love to hear your background. You have this super successful tech platform, but you're a fashion girl at heart, right? I am. Yes. So how did you fall in love with fashion and how did you get from there to here? Yes, I think it was very organic in the way that I fell in love with fashion. I was very much the child who laid out my outfit for school in the second grade, like two weeks before school even started, I was more excited to wear the outfit than than to actually go to school. So uh, I think that it was just a natural progression of, you know, just loving to dress really well, eventually started a blog uh, in high school uh, with my alter ego, Bobby Austin, and uh, would take outfit photos when Blogspot was really popular at the time. And a little bit like kind of pre-Instagram. And so you know, that's really where I, I found my passion watching, you know, the Devil Wears Prada. And that's really what got me into uh, magazines in particular. So all throughout uh, undergrad, I, I interned at different fashion publications like WWD and Mary Claire, uh, really wanting to actually, my goal was to be the editor in chief of Vogue at a certain point. Uh, and, you know, I was a um, journalism major originally. I went to Rutgers Nork and uh, actually ended up changing my major to African American studies and minoring in journalism. Because after I took my first African American studies course there, I just became really, you know, kind of obsessed with learning more about our history. Uh, I didn't grow up in an environment um, or an educational system that really taught about, you know, Black history outside of like the main figures, you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. Um, So I became really kind of like obsessed with learning about our history. And that is really what fueled me, my my educational journey moving forward. And it also changed my idea of what I wanted to do in the world. Um, So, you know, went uh, went to actually South Africa while I was in undergrad and uh, just fell in love with all of these brands and the culture and just, you know, finding things that I'd never even heard of before, brands I'd never heard of before. And when I got back to the States, you know, people were stopping me on the street, like, you know, where'd you get this bag? Where'd you get these cool sandals? And I was able to see that, you know, it, there was an there was a disconnect between the fact that there are consumers like me who are living in the U.S. who want these products. We just don't know they exist. Um, and the brands, that, you know, didn't have direct-to-consumer platforms where they could deliver internationally. And retailers were very oblivious that there was this, you know, fantastic set of brands out there. So that's really what sparked the idea in my head to start the folklore is like, I know this isn't just a problem in South Africa, but Africa as a whole. And I also recognize that this is also a problem among diverse communities and Black communities in general. So uh, that's really I've always wanted to start a business. I just thought I was going to be in magazines for a bit longer because, you know, shortly after I came back from South Africa, I started working full time at V Magazine. 
Uh, and I just kept having this like itching feeling of like, there's a problem. You have like the network where you, you have the network to solve it. You know, you have the desire to start a business. Uh, why don't you actually be the one to, to do that? And so that's how I ended up transitioning from magazines to actually starting this business. I, I left um, V Magazine to move to Cape Town, South Africa to start the business. So once I got in, I had applied to the University of Cape Town to get my master's in African studies. Once I got in, I got my two-year visa and I just set out to you know, pursue my studies and to develop the concept for what is now the folklore. Yeah, and at the very beginning, I mean, well, first of all, I know that you took some of the startup money from working for magazines, from freelance writing. Mm -hmm. And um, at the very beginning, it was very much curated by you and your tastes and the brands that you love and yes. um, selling that to other people. Um, and so tell us about the time that you spent in Africa, like developing that network of designers, because that really laid the foundation for your business. Yeah, it wasn't easy because I initially started reaching out to people before I moved to South Africa and just, you know, finding people on Instagram and you know, reaching out saying, hey, I'm interested in starting this thing. Will you talk to me? But no one was responding because it's like, we don't know you. And, you know, uh, so I, that's when I knew it was it was important for me to actually be on the ground and to build those relationships, because I think just black people in just Africa and like African people in general, we are very much a relationship driven community. Uh, and so I, I, I recognize that, you know, one, I've had no real retail experience. Uh, I was like fresh out of college. I did have, you know, an impressive magazine, you know, in, in my back pocket. But other than that, you know, what, what was their incentive for taking a risk on somebody like me? So uh, that's why when I went out there, I really focused on uh, first telling their stories. So I was freelance writing for a lot of different publications at the time. So I was writing uh, for Teen Vogue. I'd done some contributing to Vogue, to Glamour, um, some in-style work as well. So I actually got to meet a lot of the brands by actually first interviewing them. And, you know, I would, just to keep my journalistic integrity, I would do the interview, write the article, and then I would contact them afterwards to say, hey, I'm also starting this thing. Would you be interested in having a conversation with me? Um, and so that actually ended up being the way that I tunneled my way into the community uh, of brands there, and then they would refer their other brands. Uh, and so I also took that my writing on the road. So I ended up going to Lagos to cover Lagos Fashion and Design Week for, for Mary Claire South Africa. So I was able to get, you know, my, my credentials for that and meet a lot of brands from that as well. Um, went to Ghana, went to Kenya. Also, Kenya was also based off of me writing. So I was able to really take, um, you know, the, the, I guess I would say, the access that being a part of the press gives you um, and be able to do that job, you know, appropriately, and then being able to, you know, navigate the relationships afterwards to, you know, get them into um, working with the folklore. Yeah. So the company has evolved from its early days as an e-commerce site. Last year, you added a wholesale platform mm -hmm. called the Folklore Connect. It's the very first B2B wholesale platform focused on diversity and sustainability. Tell us about it. What does it do? How does it work? Um, and why did you make the decision to move in this direction? Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, we originally launched the Folklore in 2018 as a multi-brand direct-to-consumer platform. So we you know, ordered on consignment or on wholesale, warehoused the products in the US and we shipped to consumers directly. And we did that successfully for about four years, but 
what we've a lot of things happened within those four years um in particular you know the murder of george floyd which sparked you know a, a movement of people who wanted to who who recognized the need for them to support black people at large um whether that's against police brutality whether that's you know supporting our businesses etc uh, and so there was a huge demand um, from consumers that wanted to only shop from retailers uh, and people that were doing good, that prioritized sustainability, that prioritized diversity, and that were really putting their money where their mouth is. And so a lot of retailers started actually working with the brands that we had we had exclusively carried. So about 80% of the brands that we worked with, we were the only retailers stocking them. And so we actually had retailers reaching out to us, asking us to connect them with the brands that we had spent years cultivating relationships with and sourcing and literally me being on the ground, finding brands. And so I saw that there was a big, a bigger opportunity. I, I went to the brands we were working with. We sent out a survey asking them what were the areas that, you know, they found the most useful with the folklore and what are areas in their business they want to grow the most. And they told us, you know, you give a lot of visibility in these international markets. And the thing that we want to grow the most is wholesale. Um, and so the fact that, you know, we're, we've been known to, you know, the end consumer as being great curators, and then we've been known to the brands as being good for exposure. You know, we thought we can combine those things and help retailers be able to meet those that end consumers demand um, for these types of products. And we would be able to provide that visibility to brands um, so that they could actually get in front of those retailers. So we pivoted in uh, 2022 and we launched publicly the Folklore Connect as a B2B wholesale e-commerce platform where uh, retailers can source diverse brands um, or brands that are based in emerging markets. Um, so you either have to be based in an emerging market like Africa, South America, Asia, the Caribbean, or if you're based in more of an established market like the US and Europe, you would just have to be a person of color. Um, so that's our mandate and retailers now have a marketplace where they can source those brands, at, easily add the items to cart, uh, pay and receive the products directly to their stores. And brands now have uh, access to manage and run their wholesale business through the platform, uh, be able to create shipping labels, create line sheets, uh, message retailers back and forth uh, and be able to finally get into these retail stores that otherwise probably wouldn't have found them because, you know, they're not sending people out to Lagos Fashion Week to scout for brands. They're not, you know, sending somebody to Guatemala to go look for new beauty brands. But our team is actually on the ground sourcing those brands uh, and making it possible for them to enter into the big retailers that we work with, like the Nordstrom's and the Saks and even, you know, the smaller boutiques that also are on our platform. Yeah. And I'm so glad you realized the value in those relationships and that groundwork and those communities that you had built, because as you, you know, you laughed saying that the retailers were coming to you saying, hey, can we just, you know, borrow these relationships that you built? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but but in real life, sometimes it's not so funny because our businesses put in that work and then the larger companies come in and, you know, it, it works out for them in a different way. So, you know, I have to say that, that I'm glad that you pivoted in that direction. Yeah, you, me too. It was yeah. not going to be easy to compete with the Nordstrom. <laughs> we said, why compete? Why compete when we can just join them and we can work together? The whole, the, the major thing that the folklore has created is for us to be able to provide economic opportunities for diverse communities, create jobs, create exports from these emerging markets. 
And we're now seeing that retailers' goals are starting to align with ours. Um, and since we have the we have the know-how and the expertise on how to properly work with with these brands in a way that's sustainable in a way that's equitable, um, that's kind of also that value that we add to these retailers is that we are speaking the brand's language, and then we also can speak the retailer's language, and we're able to come to some common ground um, and and create a tech to to make it even easier as well. So you provide the software for these diverse brands to help them manage and scale their wholesale business. What are some of the obstacles or the pain points that you noticed that our brands were struggling with when it comes to wholesaling that you wanted to provide solutions for? Yeah, so I think one of the major things is discovery. So they not them not having not knowing even how to get in touch with these retailers. So people who join our platform and our uh, and join via our paid plan, which is Connect Plus or Connect Premium, they can actually go on our platform and message retailers directly. Uh, they have they're able to see the directory of all the retailers that we have on the platform. Uh, send them a message. Uh, they're also able to respond, even if you're on a free account, respond to any message that a retailer um, that a retailer sends them. So the one the biggest piece is discoverability. Now, once they're discovered and they uh, receive or even before they receive an order, a big thing that we've noticed is there's just a knowledge gap of how to run a wholesale business. What are some of those basic terms? How do we do uh, how do we even create wholesale pricing? What should my margin look like? And so even in our help center, we detail, you know, this is how you should think about calculating your margin. This is what the typical market price is. So there's definitely a, a huge knowledge gap in the way that specifically U.S. and European retailers work with brands that we are even looking to build more technology to address. Uh, and so basically, definitely like from a knowledge perspective, how to properly uh, even put together a line sheet so people can actually create um, line sheets based off of a template that we have. So any products they have that they've uploaded, they can uh, click export into line sheets and we actually have a pre-formatted line sheet for them. So now when a retailer asks for one, they're able to send um, one that is you know based off of what the typical norm of a line sheet would look like. So when we first started, we'd ask a brand for a line sheet and they'd be like, oh, what? And we're like, okay, so step one, uh, get to a line sheet. So, you know, we, we built that functionality. Uh, I think another major thing is when they do receive an order, it's hard to get payment because, you know, um, Nigeria laws change like every other week about, how, you know, how um, like banking and being in their platforms that used to be able to transfer money to Nigeria. Now you can't, you know, on, on Monday you could, on Tuesday you couldn't. Um, so we had we were able to find workarounds so that, you know, retailers don't have the stress of having to go find, you know, which platform is going to allow them to send money there. You know, they pay with their card through the platform and we're, we're responsible for getting the money to the brand. So I think those are the biggest pain points that discoverability, uh, having the knowledge to know how to properly work with these retailers uh, and then being able to receive payment in um, an easy and quick and effective manner. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, small, diverse brands haven't even considered wholesale yet. For, for those um, artisans, craft people, producers, designers who you know are still in that pre-wholesale stage, what would you say are some of the benefits that they should be thinking about of wholesale? So yeah, I would say in terms of wholesale, one of the benefits is that you are able to use that retailer that you are uh, selling to, to further... Um, to further to reach a, a market that you might not have 
otherwise. So if you are working with uh, a boutique that's in Kansas City and you're, you know, you're based in New York, a Google ad is most likely not going to be the thing that helps you build your community in Kansas City. Um, it's it's also not going to be um, it's also not going to be your organic social media. So boutiques in particular have really special relationships with their customers. They, you know, typically work very hand in hand with, they'll call a customer up and say, Hey, there's a new brand we think that you would like. They'd come in, try it on. Like, you know, boutiques are a place for discovery a lot. Uh, and so being able to leverage the art, the, the customers that the boutique has already, um, already, um, I guess being able to leverage the relationships that the boutiques have already created with customers is going to help with your brand awareness. Um, so always looking at it from a, yes, it's a revenue uh, from a revenue perspective, but also from a marketing perspective, because the more boutiques that you're in around the world, the more, the more likely that your brand is going to become popular in that, in the area that that boutique is in. Um, another thing is it is very expensive to run a direct-to-consumer business. I think a lot of people underestimate how expensive it is. Uh, between shipping, a lot, of, a lot of times, even if you do have a customer uh, covering shipping, sometimes shipping rates fluctuate, so you might end up paying out of pocket for those things. Then you also have to, if you're not packing yourself, you have to pay for the cost of a 3PL. A lot of small brands can't afford a 3PL, so they are packing themselves. So you have to think about the sweat equity involved as well. Uh, And then you have to, a lot of times brands, I mean, uh, customers are used to the Amazon two-day delivery I order and they want it now. Customers don't want to wait for products anymore. So you have to also take on the burden of uh, uh, producing those products up front and having them ready for a customer as soon as they they uh, click buy. They want to receive it in, in a few days. So that that cost of you know creating inventory that you're not even sure will will sell uh, can really cripple a business. And so what um, you know what wholesale provides is you're only producing once you receive an order. Uh, so most of the brands on our platform, they have the products up. They have how many they can, you know, produce the lead time that it would take to produce those. So they get the order. Most of them are able to require deposits as well. So that will cover the cost of producing. They ship it to the retailer. And now, you know, they're able to know that one, they, they've, they've created more exposure for themselves from a marketing standpoint. And they've also been able to avoid the cost of having to pr- have products pre-made, uh, the cost of having to ship, the sweat equity required to having to pack ship. Um, so that's really why, you know, I encourage it. Uh, D2C is very hard now. There's so many different, um, there's so many different brands. So I would say, you know, Instagram ads, Facebook ads, that's not, you know, it used to be something where you could spend a little money and you can be, build an audience that way. It's not as straightforward anymore. And so, and you could invest the same amount of time and money into going after retailers and getting into retail stores. Uh, and you'd be able to, you know, one, know that you'll have more consistent orders coming through because most of the time when you work with a retailer, as long as you're doing well and selling well, they're going to keep reordering. So you have that, you know, um, you're able to have more consistent cash flow and kind of be able to better project what it's going to look like this quarter versus next quarter uh, because consumers are very um, unpredictable. Uh, and so if you're relying on consumers to, um, to okay, they did this this quarter, so I'm projecting going to do this that quarter. It, you know, we have so many different economic circumstances that end up coming into play. You know, that does impact retailers as well. 
Uh, but at the same time, retailers, if they're in business, they, they're always going to need inventory. Um, and so you have more of a guarantee of continuing to get those orders from a retailer who's still in business than a consumer that might have been your best customer, but the previous month they just lost their job. Yeah. And then on the revenue side, when it comes to the benefits of wholesaling, I know that you believe that wholesaling is the future of mm-hmm. scaling for diverse businesses. Can you uh, you know, talk more about that? So I wouldn't even just say the future. I mean, I think oh, direct-to-consumer has been something that has come around more recently with the with platforms like Shopify, making it easier for anyone to just create a storefront uh, digitally. That has kind of, there was a huge like direct-to-consumer boom between like 2017, you know, all the way up until the pandemic. I mean, I think that a lot of people realize from that, um, that they do need to diversify um, revenue streams. So I'm never against anybody having direct-to-consumer. I think it's very important to do both. But I do also think that in terms of smaller brands and, and diverse brands, wholesale is more optimal because we typically are not approach uh, coming into businesses with heavy uh, investments or a lot of capital behind us and so you want to be as capital efficient as possible when you are building a business and being capital efficient means not spending a bunch of money on inventory not if you don't even have a customer to sell it to yet um, so wholesale eliminates that you're only making it once an order order is put in um, building the, and also being able to build really strong relationships with the retailers that you're wholesaling to also is something that can really dramatically um, change the landscape of your business because you can be doing trunk shows with them. Uh, you could be, you know, um, having them introduce you to other retailers that might not be like competitive to them or they just, you know, or like, oh, this is somebody in another city that I think uh, would be really interested. So the same way that you want to cultivate those relationships with D2C customers, you do that with your your um, retail customers. So yeah, I just think from a, from the standpoint of you know, a lot of times we're coming from a lack of means um, and we have to really be careful about how we're spending our money and how we're building our business. Wholesale typically is the most cost effective way uh, to do it. Yeah. In addition to access and resources, you also provide mentorship for the brands on your platform. What do you think brands need to do to get themselves ready for Mm -hmm. wholesaling? So I think they really need to study what it means to run a wholesale business. It's not the same as a direct-to-consumer business. Uh, and I think they need to let their wholesale business inform their D2C business, which I think is something that's often overlooked. You need to understand what your wholesale, uh, how your wholesale price relates to your retail price. So a lot of people will have a, a D2C price and then they'll just say, okay, if the retailer wants a markup, you know, we'll make it up. Uh, we'll make our wholesale price 40% of, of that um, D2C price that I've already set. Then they find that they made absolutely no money selling to that retailer because they made they, they created those retail prices based off of selling to the end consumer, not selling to that, selling to that retailer. So really deciding, okay, is wholesale going to be a major part of my business? If so, I'm setting my wholesale prices first. Then I'm, uh, and that's based off of me wanting to get X margin when I sell to a retailer. And then I'm going to set my retail prices based off the markup of, of this wholesale price I've created. Um, so number one is like deciding what does it look like to create a wholesale business? Then setting that price of, okay, well, this is what my pricing structure would look like. This is what I would want to be able to, to make. Uh, that means 
uh, if if I want to be able to make this amount of profit, this is how many units that a, uh, a retailer is going to have to buy. This is how many um, styles a retailer is going to have to buy because you also don't might be working with an external factory who requires minimum units that are ordered, minimum styles that are ordered. So I say that you have to really do your research and be able to understand what is an AARP, what is a... Um, what is uh, GS1 codes? What is um, not AARP? That's the, uh, what is it? Um, approve. Let's cut that out. I can't remember what um, what the actual thing is. It's not the AARP. acronym. Yeah, I can't remember okay. the actual acronym. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I would say just basically in general, you have to do your research and actually be able to know the vocabulary and how to and how to use that and what that means, and also really know your numbers. And then you need to have a strategy the same way that you'd have a strategy with customers where it's, you know, I have a list of retailers that I want to work with and I'm going to reach out to them you know, through this email. I'm going to reach out to them through Instagram. I'm going to be able to send them the line sheet. Here's the pitch that, I, that I've created. So a lot of people, you know, we always tell them on our platform, you can't upload your products and then leave the and then leave the platform and just think that they're going to sell. You know, you have to put in work. You know, we're providing tech and we're providing support and we're providing access to retailers, but it's up to you to grow your retail business, utilize this tech, utilize our support uh, in order to actually grow your wholesale business. It is work. It's more, it's could be the same amount of work, if not more than running a direct to consumer business, but the benefits of it, I believe really outweigh um, the, the direct to consumer uh, opportunity. One of the benefit of, of benefits of your platform for retailers is that the brands are already vetted. What are you looking for in the brands that you promote aside from them being diverse or sustainable? Yeah, so we look for things like how long the brand has been in business. Usually it's a minimum of two years. We look at things like, do they have a website? Is it active? Uh, you know, are they active on Instagram? When was the last time they posted? If it was four months ago and they post every other month, that's not a brand that we're looking for. Uh, if they don't have a website, that's not typically a brand that we're looking for. Uh, we look at, do they have global appeal? Are they, uh, will they appeal to the U.S. customers and the European customers that both, most of our retailers are buying for? Uh, we have four categories that we focus on right now, which is apparel, accessories, homeware, and beauty. Um, so we look at those categories um, as of now, and then we look at price point. Uh, right now, we're like a contemporary price point and above. So that's about $150 retail for apparel, uh, somewhere around like $18 to $20 for beauty. Um, so we really are looking at it from the perspective of buyers, because buyers check all those things. They check if you have a website, they check if you have an Instagram. Because one thing that uh, retail buyers don't want to do is buy from a company that is not operating as a business. It's like a side project. It's not something that they're very serious about. Uh, they will also want to buy from people who've already built a community of their own that they see, that they can see, is, and that's evident on Instagram by the way that their community is engaging with them on social media. Uh, they want to be able to see that they somebody can come to a website and see that this is a legitimate brand. Um, and so we are basically putting ourselves in the shoes of you know a retail buyer. And we're vetting that way so that when retailers do, uh, you know, approach our brands, they know that for the most part, uh, we've done we've done the heavy lifting of doing that research behind that brand. Speaking of retailers, you have signed on some heavy hitters, Nordstrom, Urban Outfitters, Bergdorf, Saks, Shopbop and more. Um, Nordstrom alone has done 247 million in retail sales 
from brands owned, operated, or designed by Black and Latinx designers with the help of companies like yours, of course. Um, so the impact of what you do um, and, and that impact that it has on communities that have been racially marginalized or geographically marginalized is tremendous. Um, can you put into your own words why giving these diverse brands access to global retailers and global customers is so important as we look at the bigger picture of Black entrepreneurship and wealth in Black communities? Yeah, it's important because oftentimes when we create businesses uh, as Black people, we they often just stay small. Um, they often die with the person who created it. They often don't last for more than two years. Uh, and so by providing opportunities to increase their wholesale business, we're providing uh, a lot of these brands a lifeline that would have otherwise, you know, not been able to make it just from D to C alone, or we're not or not being able to um, reach their wholesale goals, just doing it manually on, on, you know, on their own without having access to a platform like ours. Um, so that's really why we do what we're doing is because, like I mentioned before, we want to create economic opportunities. We want to create more jobs. We want to be able to help them build companies that, you know, when, when they pass, they can pass it on to their family or there'll be a new CEO or they're selling to, you know, a larger conglomerate and they're now under a big, a uh, big conglomerate uh, in the same way that a lot of European and uh, American brands have been able to build these legacy businesses. We want to help create building those legacy businesses. And so in the future, you'll see with the folklore, we're going to start helping brands beyond just wholesale. Uh, we're going to be building technology that's really going to help them get to that that position. So not all brands might want to be, you know, um, selling $100 million a year, but let's figure out what are the, what are your ambitions and how can we build tech to help that? And then how can we also build tech to help those people who want to have that type of scale for their business? Um, so it's really about listening to our listening to our customers, um, understanding where they are, where they want to, where they want to go and being able to build specifically for them and not as an afterthought, which I feel like is what a lot of platforms have done, um, spe specifically in the B2B wholesale space. Um, you know, they they see that diversity as a trend and they they were trying to get in on it. And at, at the same time, based off of how they built their infrastructure and how they built the business model of their company, it didn't actually suit the needs of the diverse communities and people in these emerging markets. So we're building with them and them at the heart of everything that we do and making sure that we can grow a sustainable and ethical business um, alongside our alongside of our brands without you know hurting them and only with assisting them and making sure that we can both get to where we want to go. Thank you so much, Amira, for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please take a look at the company website, thefolklore.com. You can also follow them pretty much everywhere on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn at The Folklore. Yes. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise editors, writers, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And if you like what you hear, show us some love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. I'm Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening.